hello hello everyone and welcome back welcome back welcome back this is joe aka joe the wellness curator and this is the obsidian mindset podcast where we are redefining what wellness means to you okay so we are continuing on with this interview series um the season is going on strong and i i knew i just knew i had to bring on my boy uh brandon gibson to have a conversation with me about wellness and his journey through wellness um we've i've i've interviewed him in another capacity um and we didn't really talk about wellness so it was really good to have this conversation with him in this space uh and talk about things for him to go a little bit deeper get a little vulnerable we talk about a lot of things we talk about growing up caribbean so hello you know we were <laughs> cutting up about certain things about there um we talk about uh just asking yourself well, why do i do this and having conversations with yourself to be a better person and we we're able to really get dive deep into generational health and what he plans on passing down and up as we say um to the people in his community and his family and lastly you know we do talk about dealing with depression and some of the tools that you can use to manage that and, and how you can use that to um just how that those tools can also be implemented in other areas of your life. So this is a really good conversation. I'm so excited for you all to listen. Uh, and per usual, you know where to find me. Feel free to email me if you have any questions, comments, or if you are interested in being interviewed. Uh, Joe at definedbyobsidian.com. And tune in. Enjoy. All right, so welcome back, welcome back. This is Joe, and I'm so excited to have Brandon Gibson on the podcast. Say what's up. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for the invite. No Happy problem. Happy to chop uh, it up. Let's do this. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, so just for uh, disclosure, I interviewed Brandon in another capacity. Uh, it was such a dope conversation. So excited to have him on Obsidian to talk all things wellness. Um, as you guys know, and just to give some Brandon some context, when we talk about wellness, when I talk about when Obsidian, we talk about the eight dimensions. Um, so when we talk about the eight dimensions of wellness, we're talking about physical slash mental, emotional, financial, spiritual, vocational, environmental, social, and intellectual. Um, all important, all should be paid attention to. So definitely want to chop it up and talk about the dimensions and whatever means true to you or whatever's on your heart right now because yesterday physical was on my mind mostly and today it's not as much so whatever you feel true let's do that in the present yeah so and this is a dope question and a dope sort of context and content that you've presented man um you know if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna be honest let's do it you know, normally i i'm always in the role of of being the guy sharing the wisdom and the guy, you know, that people are looking to for whatever reason. Um, sometimes that makes sense and most times I probably don't. But uh, for the most part, uh, I think that, I think at the basis of wellness, before you get to any, before you even step into the eight different places, I think what's really important is to accept the fact that you're human. Mm and that it's okay to not be well. I don't think it's okay to stay unwell. I do think it's okay at certain points to not be well, because that is really what it, part of what it means to be human. And I am guilty 
You know, we might as well talk. We're here. You know, I'm in my T-shirt. You got to do rag on in your T-shirt. We might as well just kind of keep it real and just, you know, talk, you know, the truth. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, you know, I'm, I'm a very straightforward guy. I don't, I don't, I'm not pretentious. Um, I was well the first year of COVID of shelter in place. I was well last year. I was very well emotionally, mentally, all of that. But this year, it's been tough this year. It's been tough. And what's crazy about that is the businesses are exploding. I'm in a good way. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, opportunities are coming left, right. I mean, from everywhere. But that doesn't make things well. Just because the money is well or just because the businesses are well, that doesn't mean things are well. Just because the job is well or even if you're insured. There's no one thing that is going to make it well at one, one particular time or another. Uh, there are times in my life where I was I was broke and I was happy, happier than I than I am now, you know, or or than I've been afterwards. You know, not that I'm not happy now, but there's times where I'm not. And you know, with money, it's just kind of like, okay, <laughs> it doesn't do much for you, right? Um, so I think giving yourself the freedom to be human, I think that's probably the beginning, part of the beginning of wellness. Um, I am guilty of not accepting that I'm human. I've done that so much in my past. Um, and I think what that has done, it has damaged me in ways that I'm now learning about um, and I'm dealing with. And then consequently, because I didn't treat myself as human and have mercy, I get to treat yourself as human is really to have mercy and grace on yourself, mm -hmm. to know that you make mistakes, to know that you can get tired, to know that you don't have to always have the answers, to know that you don't always have to perform. Uh, you don't always have to, you know, I grew up in a West Indian household where if you didn't get a hundred on the test and you got a 99, where's that point? What, what, what happened to the hundred? Where's the point? Oh. Where's the point? Trauma. You know, I grew up and I survived living in a, in a, in a West Indian household. God help us. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like, no, my parents are great, but still West Indian, old school West Indian. So those of you who grew up that way, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, so I grew up like that and that, you know, which I think is a, is a colonial European uh, imperialist um, sort of mindset that was inculcated to our ancestors. And then that's how they internalized it. That you have to be perfect and you can't make mistakes and you can't show weakness and you can't even show emotion. And so a lot of us grew up in that, in that sort of environment and it, 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 it manifested in different ways in, diff in, diff in different people because we're all different. But I think one of the ways that, and just kind of how I'm wired, manifested in me is that, you know, I'm not, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I thought that I wasn't human, but looking back on it, the way I treated myself, the way I even treated other people closest to me was as if I'm not human and neither are they, in that I wasn't as merciful as I should have been to myself and to other people. Um, I wasn't as gracious as I should have been in the past, in my, really in my 20s, uh, I'm 35 now. I wasn't as gracious as I should have been or could have been. Um, you know, I, I thought nothing could hurt me. I thought I was in, you know, I was invincible, uh, emotionally and physically and otherwise, you know, and as you get older, you realize how human you really are. Woo. And it's, it's, it, it can be traumatic. It, it could be a bit of a, oh, shoot. Whoa. You know? Oh, okay. I didn't know that from a physical perspective, I didn't know that I could have that type of pain in my knee or in my back. You know, I didn't know that I could forget some of the things that I'm forgetting. Like my memory used to be like this. And now, you know, I didn't know 
you know, that, uh, you know, I, I could get this sensitive or emotional and feel this hurt over something this person did when five years ago, I probably wouldn't have even noticed or even cared. And if, they, if it did affect me, I wouldn't acknowledge that it hurt me. I might just say I'm angry. Instead of saying I'm hurt, I'll say I'm angry. It's when I'm really hurt. Um, so getting the language, you know, understand. And, 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 and there was this thing that we learned. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. It's, and it's so funny we're having this conversation now because I haven't thought about it in months, but I started thinking about it this week and this conversation might be why it came back up in my mind where there's a, there is a, a field of study called epistemology, uh, which is basically the study of knowing. How does one come to know something? There's, people that, there's a whole field of study about how a person or a group of people come to know something. For example, how do you know you're black and not white? How do you know that? How did you come to know that? And then, uh, you know, there are different epistemic injustices in society. How, you know, there's, there is like, you know, jury uh, injustice, or I don't know if that's what you call it, but it's an epistemic, just, uh, epistemic injustice that has to do with juries, where a jury will come to a conclusion about a particular defendant or a particular case and you would have to ask yourself, well, how did this person come to, to come to these conclusions about this defendant, not just based on what the facts were in the case, but if it's an all white jury in 1975 or 1980 or in 2021, um, how, how does one, how do you gauge these people and how they're gonna come to a certain conclusion? You know, um, how do you know that dark skin is, is worse than light skin? Is it because of the way the media and advertising and then there's an epistemic injustice. Uh, I forget the name of it, but basically it has to do with the fact that, you know, there's an injustice in language where, you know, a particular word, um, excruciating, that word was created as a result of uh, the Roman Empire being masters at knowing how to kill people and put people on, 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 the, on the death penalty and death row. They knew how to kill people, torture people. And, and the word excruciating comes, from, comes really from the cross, which is not just where Jesus uh, died, Jesus Christ of the Bible died, but also that's just how Romans, the Romans, that's one of the ways they kill people. Mm -hmm. And the word excruciating was created to explain and capture what it felt like to be on the cross. But before that moment, before that word was created, other people felt excruciating pain. There was just no word to describe it. Harassment is also a very new word. Uh, in maybe like the 50s, 60s, or 70s. That word wasn't, that wasn't a word. That came about in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, somewhere around there. Uh, but before that, people were being harassed. There just wasn't a, a word for it. Mm -hmm. So how many, so, so I say all that to say, there's so many levels to our humanity. Um, and there's so many ways to sort of address that, but to kind of bring it full circle, um, acknowledging the fact that we're human that right there and up until a few weeks ago i was really beating myself up because i haven't been okay mm -hmm. and i'm the guy who's always supposed to be okay i'm always supposed to be okay i mean brandon you're doing this and you're doing that so you do this in your mind and, da, 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 da. and it's like yeah but i'm very human though mm -hmm. <laughs> like like very very human like beyond any pretense. I am a human guy. Before I'm a man, I'm a human. Before I'm a human being. Mm -hmm. And I've had to accept that, man. 
and um, I'm starting to give myself permission to be human. Um, and I just hope that everybody listening, you know, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, you know, it's been a crazy year and a half for, for all of us, uh, for some more than others, but um, allow yourself to be human. It's okay to not have it all together in the eight areas. And I feel like sometimes when we hear those things, some people, depending on where you are uh, in your emotional state and mental state and spiritual state, hearing the eight things can almost give you anxiety because you're like, oh my God, I don't have it together here. I don't have it together there. What's wrong with me? I'm this, I'm that. And then you start beating yourself up and now you have shame and now you never even begin to, to address the eight things because you feel like you're so inadequate because you haven't started with the fact that you're human and it's okay. Yeah, I, I'll pause there. <laughs> that, that was such a good like starting spot. I, and what I heard you say, and I, and I always tell people this is like, when it comes to wellness, it, the key, like whether you're well or unwell or use those definition is to suspend judgment, right? Whenever you're looking at the eight dimensions, it is not to say I'm doing worse in this area than this. It's all just checking in. How am I feeling spiritually today? Am I a five or am I a 10? And how do I become a six tomorrow? Like that's right. to be a 10 tomorrow. How do I just become a little bit better? And I think that there, there is the, and I think you talked about imperialism and capitalism, there is this approach of just like, I need to get it all together by tomorrow, urgency. I need instant gratification. Yep. How do I get that? When yeah. like this journey, wellness journey, healing journey, it's, I don't want that. I don't want to be the best tomorrow because I'm, yeah. I feel like I'll be missing critical steps. So thank you oh. for even giving that foundation. Um, and I, from there, I just want to know, so kind of learning through this and going through this, where are some of the, and using, you can use the dimensions, but where are some areas where you feel like you had to specifically release judgment to start that healing process? <laughs> where do I start? Um, and again, I, I, I've, I've located much of the source of this. You know, we have been, especially people of African descent, especially Caribbeans, who have not been Americanized. So our, our parents, our grandparents, they have not been Americanized. So they are, they're much closer to the imperialist, um, colonialist um, way of living than the African-Americans are because they are much further removed from it. Now there are certain dynamics that are true for both Caribbean and African-Americans, African um, but there's certain nuances that are, are interesting, right? So we got independence in Barbados. My family's from Barbados. We got that independence um, in the 60s, I believe. Barbados was independent from Britain in the 60s. 60s, 1960s, not 1860s, the 1960s. Um, slaves were freed in 1865. And clearly we have to deal with, you know, the black codes and Jim Crow and segregation and all that other stuff. Um, but there was, it, it was different than what was going on in the islands. Mm -hmm um uh, in terms of how the societal structure worked and there's a lot of judgment in our culture there's a lot especially in caribbean culture there is a we judge ourselves and each other i mean and it's almost like sport where we judge each other and judge ourselves um and so there's just this deep and so there's, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am, I am bad. Mm. And so I feel like what has been sort of really 
pressed into the uh, recesses of our collective consciousness as Caribbean and Caribbean Americans, I'm focusing on that for whatever reason, it just seems relevant for the conversation. You know, it's been sort of really pushed into it that not only if we did something bad, it was bad and you can move on, but you are bad. Mm-hmm. You, who you are, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's a being thing. So our parents, many of them, and, and older family members, they didn't know what they were doing. A lot of people may get angry at me for saying that because it would sound like I'm letting people off the hook and I'm not. I'm not trying to blame, I'm just trying to explain. Uh, it doesn't absolve anybody, but just to understand, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, and all you're getting, get understanding. And I realized that in my life, when I'm most frustrated, it's when I don't understand something. When I understand, even if I don't like it, I'm cool because I get it. And just to, in an attempt to understand, there's just a lot of judgment in Caribbean and West Indian culture that comes from one of the places I believe it comes from, you know, that, that colonial enslavement uh, sort of past that we share. And so our parents and our grandparents, they, a lot of them pass that on to us in ways that they, if they understood what they were doing, they probably would never have done it. But the problem is they were, they were wrestling with their own issues mm-hmm. around judgment and they had no other choice in many cases to pass that on because they didn't know what they were doing. And so, you know, even talking to my mom, you know, I was a little, I was a very gregarious little boy. And as like a 10 or 11 year old, I told my mother, I was like, yo, you need to go see a therapist, you know? And I, yeah, I, I, got, I got my behind whoop. I got my behind, <laughs> I got my behind whoop, but I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken it back. And my mother went to therapy years later and said to me, Brandon, the therapist asked me one question. So why are you here today? And all I could do, this is her talking, all I could do is just bawl from just that one question. I just started crying. <laughs> That's so real. And I said, no comment. Uh, <laughs> I told you. you. I told you so, right. I told you. <laughs> I had to tell her, but, 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 but there's a lot of stuff that's been passed on to us that doesn't belong to us, man. There's a lot of pain, baggage, drama, trauma that doesn't, be- it's somebody else's trauma that we're carrying. And many of us, we're carrying our parents' trauma, we're carrying, you know, uh, our, our significant other's trauma, our ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend's trauma, or our sister's trauma, stuff, stuff that doesn't even belong to you. And then you got to deal with your own trauma and you make it all yours. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, uh, to answer your question, I'm sorry, get to kind of bring it full circle. Um, I think what I had to realize is just to be honest with myself, man, firstly, that I'm human. Uh, and then around the judgment piece, that it's okay to be human. Uh, and so the area out of the eight that you mentioned where I have to kind of address first was my spirituality, because I feel like a lot of times, you know, I also grew up not only West Indian, but conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. And that has another layer mm. of judgment and issues because it, because that experience is birthed out of the culture that it was created in, which is, well, not created, but, but propagated in, which is the, the West Indian culture. So the culture of judgment in, in, in the West Indian and Caribbean context doesn't go away just because you're in church or just because you're a Christian. It is woven into that experience somehow, and it comes out in different ways. And... Um, I had to realize that just because I missed a day of prayer doesn't mean God's God's presence left me. Mm. Doesn't mean that God that I'm that I'm a, that I'm 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 not worth saving. Or uh, if I if I curse somebody out, sue me. I, I've done it. it happens. And not and not ten years ago, and not a year ago. 
I'll leave it there. All the <laughs> Use the math. Do the math yourself. Uh, and uh, or just do something that you know. Okay. Yes, I did it. Yes. Now what? What's up? Right. So and not and not killing myself for it. You know, just just be in, in all the areas. Just being human and not judging myself about that. Not judging myself uh, around you know business deals that failed years ago. You know, letting that go. Um, you know, letting go of failures in general, you know, failed relationships, you know, what, you know, just really, just, just letting it, moving on. I, I, and I'll pause, I'll pause here. Uh, Michael Jordan, um, I was watching the um, Last Dance. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Did you see the Last Dance? Phenomenal. Anybody watching, if you didn't see that, you got to watch it. It's, it chronicles Michael Jordan's last um, race for uh, the championship when he was on the Bulls. Uh, and he talked about how Whenever he took a shot and he missed, he he forgot about it. He wouldn't. He would not even think about the shot ever again. He would just think about the next shot. And where I used to get caught up, and sometimes still do, is about I think about the shot that I just took that I missed, and I'm focused and fixated on that shot, not realizing that it's it's not setting me up and it's causing me to have to miss the next shot because I'm so focused on the last shot that's already gone. I can't do anything about that shot. I can't make that shot better. I can't do anything about that shot. Um, all I could do is focus on the next shot. I was so fixated mm-hmm. on the last shot. Mm. And now listen, Michael Jordan, arguably, he wasn't the greatest player all of his career. He, he wasn't. He just kept getting better and better and better. And one of the reasons why he kept getting better, other than his determination, is that he just forgot about all of the shots he lost. He actually lost more shots than he made. Mm. His field goal percentage... Kobe Bryant's field goal percentage, LeBron James's field goal percentage is not what you think it is. If you Google all of their statistics, particularly around the shots that they've taken or the points that they've had out of all of the shots that they've taken, their percentages and field goal percentages are not crazy high. It's not like 100%. No, it's actually much lower than you think. I think it's like half or maybe even less than half. But they're still considered the greatest players because they just forget about the last shot And so many of us are stuck at the last shot. We're angry because of all of the issues that went around and and sort of went on around, you know, losing or or not making that shot. And we're blaming ourselves and the shot is gone. Even if you were wrong, even if the other person was wrong, there's nothing you could do to change the fact that you missed that shot. All you can do is learn from the fact that you missed it figure out how do I make the next shot and go from there. That's really all it is. And so for me, I think this wellness conversation, I could take it in a whole bunch of different directions, but I guess what's resonating with me just as we're talking is just that, just, just let go of the shot, let, let go of the last shot that you missed and and try it again. And for some people that's a journey. And I'm not saying that that's, I don't want to make it sound trivial. Like, okay, you missed it. And no, it's, 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 it's traumatic, especially if all of who you are went into that shot all of how you view yourself and all of your dreams and your ambitions and everything went into that one shot and you missed it. And for some of us, we didn't just miss it, but we missed it publicly (laughs) where now we've been humiliated and, and there's been collateral damage. And now people are hurting financially or emotionally or mentally because of something I did because of a shot that I missed. People are disappointed because I missed the shot. People are ridiculing me because I missed a shot. 
And so all of that is real. And I'm not going to trivialize that. And to get over that is not an easy thing. All I'm saying is that even if you don't get over it today, and most of us won't, at least allow yourself to accept the fact that even though I missed that last shot, there's still a chance, as long as there's breath in my body, there's still a chance for me to take another shot. What can I do to get on the road of wellness to set myself up to take the next shot? And watch this. Even if I don't make the next shot, the goal is not just to make the next shot. That's a lesson I had to learn, and I'm still learning. We think the goal is, all right, I missed the last shot. Now I got to do everything I can to make the next shot. That's a part of it. But that should not be, that's not the why. That's the what. The what is I want to make the next shot. But I may not make the next shot. Do I stay stuck again? Mm. No. That is a place of existential uh, acknowledgement that who I am is not connected to whether or not I make the shot. Because if I, because the reason why I fell into a funk the first time, most of us, the reason why we're so distraught is because we put all of our identity into making the shot. And when we miss the shot, suicidal, you want to quit, never want to do it again, throw in the towel, I want to do something else, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, I can't do anything, can't succeed. We do all that self-talk, and that's that. But if we go into it saying, I may never win a Grammy, I may never win an Oscar, I may never have a company that's traded on the New York Stock Exchange, I may never be a millionaire. I don't know. I'm not saying you tell yourself I'll never be one. But maybe not. Things happen. I could get sick. I could, you know, the business, the economy could crash. COVID could happen and kill my business. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I just have to stay true to who I believe I am and what I believe I am created to do. It's not about success or failure. It's about purpose, in my opinion, for me. I love that. And it also kind of gets to what resonated with me is uh, something with like shame versus guilt, right? Like you were saying, it's the I am versus yes. I did. And if that's right. That I am because it, what I did does nothing to do with what I am. And you can't let people, including yourself, no. attach those two. Especially yourself. Yeah. Especially. No one can talk down to me more than me. Nobody. Nobody on the planet. I don't care how vicious with words you are. I can look at you dead in your face. You can tell me, Brandon, you ain't this, this, that. And you might be right by some of the stuff you say. You might be absolutely right. I'm like, you know what? That's true. I, I am that way. And there's a lot of stuff I am that you probably don't even know. You, yeah, that's actually the good stuff. That you're saying. I can say that too. But it's when I start to talk to myself, it's a wrap. It's over. Wrap. When I, I know what myself. buttons to push. I know what buttons oh, to push. Oh, without even guessing, you, you go right to it. You don't, you, you're not going to miss. Boom. That's one place we're not going to miss. That's right. We miss everywhere else. Well, we're not going to miss in talking down to ourselves. We ain't going to miss. Every time we hit it, every time. So I'm learning to just catch myself. I'm learning to talk to myself more in a more positive way. I know that's like a buzzword, positivity, but, you know, I mean it. Just kind of talking more in terms of, no, nah, Brandon, it's cool. You're human. It's all right. Yeah, you, you said that and you shouldn't have said it, but how can you make it better? Can you apologize? Let them know you're sorry uh, and make sure that you take steps to not do that again. Boom, you know? And not be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Uh, uh, I would stay in bed for days under the covers in dark, in the darkness. 
yeah, man. I would I would just be disappear and be in a deep depression. Man. I used to be like that in my twenties. I was really like that, and and most people would never have guessed it, never, because when I would come out of it and before I would go into it, I would be branding, making things happen, and you know, moving and shaking and doing all these things and preaching people and and encouraging people out of their pit and their mess and what they're dealing with. So they're like, well, how can this guy go through something that I'm going through or worse emotionally, mentally, spiritually, when he's the one pulling me out of my pit. And I tell people all the time, you know, the greatest encouragers oftentimes need the most encouragement. The people who encourage the most, the people who uplift the most, your greatest encouragers and supporters, they, in most cases, need the most encouragement. Because it's, it's almost like, it's a double-edged sword to be, to be so effective at lifting people up, I find that you have to be very acquainted with your own grief. You have to be so, to be effective in reaching people, to be an effective person that knows how to talk to people and make them feel you. There's a part of you that's not, there's a part of you that's dark sometimes, I feel. Because in order to connect with their sadness, you need to know what it is to be sad. Mm. In order to connect with their depression and speak to that, you got to know what it feels like to be depressed. Mm. You, you would have had to have gone through that and wrestled with that. That's why, and I keep using scripture because it's so appropriate. There's a scripture that talks about how Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with grief. How can you connect to someone's reality if you don't understand? Mm. If you've never experienced it. I could talk all day long about, you know, playing basketball. But if I've never played, what are we I've never touched the basketball, what am I, what am I talking about? Right. So I just feel like, you know, people who encourage the most typically go through, in many cases, the most internal struggle and wrestling in their mind. And I, I am no different. I am no different. I am no different. Yeah, and, that, and it, before I ask the next question, I think that also gets to another quote that I say is like, you always have to give from your saucer, not your cup, right? And it's, oh. the, it's the fact of just like, if you yeah, are man. giving to others, it is so, yes. I know for me at least, I'm like, it, if you need something, I'll go and do it, right? Like, it's whatever. Right. But it's, I forget to fill my own. And yeah, I'm right. then they deplete it, right? Um, That's right. Same here. Same here. So, but one thing I wanted to say, you were talking about the, your episodes and like just being in the dark. So what are some tools that got you out of that? Or what are you working through so that you don't get to that space? Or if you, you feel it coming on, because I feel like those type of things, it's like, it doesn't, it never disappears. It's more of like, you figure out the exactly. tools to get to it. How do you, oh, okay. what tools do, have you discovered or are you currently discovering to help you? Yeah. With that? yeah. And I think there are many, but I think the one that worked best for me uh, and hopefully can um, work for some other folks is just talking to yourself. So this, this is how I look at it. I look at our mind as a club. So let's look at our mind as a club. Any really good club, what is in the front at every exclusive hot club that everybody wants to get into? Who is standing at the front of the club? You mean the line with the, the bouncer? The bouncer. Mm -hmm. The bouncer is standing in front of that club. Why? What is that bouncer doing? They're regulating. Making sure they know what goes Regulating on. what? The line uh -huh. and the crowd. Who goes in and who doesn't? Mm. The bouncer is able to say, oh, you don't look like you match what's going on in the owner's club. 
The owner has a certain idea of who they want in their club and you don't fit the bill because you're wearing sandals and I need you to have on like actual shoes and you don't look the part. You can't get in. So roll out. Next person. All right, cool. They got on the line. That doesn't mean you have to give them admission to the club. Just because you're on the line don't mean you got to get in. I can, I can vet. I'm going to vet you before I let you in this club. If we're like that about clubs, why aren't we like that about our minds? That's wild. Why? Why aren't we like that about our minds? And what I realized is that I am never without power. Never. Never. I may not have power in every situation, in everything, in all ways, but there, there is a place where I'm never powerless. And that is one of the ways is what I tell myself. How I choose to see a situation, I can. It is my choice. I knew I knew um, a woman who um, had cancer years ago. She went to our church, and I kid you not, she passed away. Um, but I kid you not, if you've met her and saw her and talked with her, hung out with her, you would have never thought she had cancer. Never, mind you. Stage four. I mean, going to trying to go to chemo, trying to do this, weak, losing weight still traveling. Every time you see her, she's smiling, she's singing. I mean, just so lively and full of life and just amazing woman. And I asked her one day, I said, how? I get a headache and I want to lay down and I don't want to talk to nobody. And I get, I'm annoyed and frustrated. You have cancer, you're, you know you're dying. You know you're dying. And yet you, you act better than people, who, you know, they have nothing to complain about. Friend, I can't control what happens to me. I can only control my response to what happens to me. My response. That is her saying, I'm never without power. I'm never powerless. I get to choose. I, and we forget that. That's the one thing we forget is that we get to choose. And the situation in many cases would try to make us believe we don't get to choose. That just because the person got on the line to the club, that automatically means I got to let them in. Just because something happened to me that is not cool. Cancer, lost the job, a husband or wife walked out, person I love that I thought I was gonna be with for the rest of my life, left me for somebody else, lost my money, house burned down, whatever. COVID, somebody I love died that I didn't know that they would, I didn't really think that they would ever leave me this way. Mm-hmm. All of that. I can't control any of that. Mm-hmm. But I can control what I tell myself about it. And sometimes our emotions and our thoughts get so consumed by what's happening to us that we don't realize, oh, oh shoot, I'm still in power though. Because those situations come in many cases and, and make you feel powerless because it happened, because it was a surprise, it was a shock, you didn't expect it, it took you, it, it took you uh, for a loop, you, you didn't understand, you didn't really see what's coming. And so you, it makes you feel like, oh shoot, what, what do I do? You know, but. And it's okay to feel like that. And again, it's okay to be unwell. It just I don't think it's okay to stay unwell. And so it's okay to go through that feeling and those emotions. And what, at some point, you got to be able to say to yourself, okay, cool. Where's my power in this situation? Okay. Everybody thinks I'm a crook. Everybody thinks I'm a horrible person. Everybody thinks I'm incompetent. Everybody thinks whatever. Okay. <sighs> okay. They think that. All I could do is really look and see, well, is any of that really true? Like, 
what did I really, and just like really break it down, talk to yourself and, and really allow yourself again to be human and allow yourself. And sometimes, sometimes some of it is true. You might be like, you know what? I really didn't, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? Why did I say that? I'll, I'll tell you this. I, the, the whole 199 thing, growing up in a Caribbean household where if you got a 99 and not a 100, that affected me so much. Watch this, Joe. I was in the third or fourth grade. And you know, back then you had the report cards that were actual cards and it was E for excellent, G for good, <laughs> S for satisfactory, N for needs improvement, and then U for unsatisfactory. At you, that you, <laughs> man. It's different than an F. Something about that. That, that you, that you, because it's all the way at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> at least the F is like, you know what I'm saying? Towards the, the U is all the way at the end. That's what you think of me? I'm a U? So, bruh, so that you would traumatize me. So I would always get E's. E's, 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 every year, uh, every semester, uh, every market period. Boom, E, 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 student of the month, student of the month, honor roll, uh, deans and all that. And then one day, Joe, I got an N. I saw E, 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 N. My heart dropped. My heart dropped. To the point where I literally, I think that's probably the first time I ever had an anxiety attack, looking back on it. Because the thought of having to go home, mm -hmm. the thought of having to go home and show my parents this, I could not fathom. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go home. I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was like, not that they would kill me, just, just that perfection thing that we have in our culture. So what I did was, my teacher had white out. And if he wasn't looking, I, I, I whited out the N and made it an E. I'm nervous. That pivotal moment in my life set the stage. Now, I never became, thank God, some criminal or mm -hmm. some post or whatever. However, I was deathly afraid of ever showing weakness emotionally mm. to people in relationships. I didn't know how to do it. I was terrified, like, and by terrified, I mean, even to the extent of thinking, oh, I don't wanna be here anymore. Mm. Terrified of failure in any form, any form. Terrified, like petrified. The idea of losing just would, because, of everything that culminated in that moment in third grade. So there have been moments in my life where I've made mistakes and, and I did allow those, me making those mistakes to make me say, not only did I do something bad, but I am bad. But over time I'm learning how to, even when it's true, okay, I did that. I shouldn't have said it like that. Oh, that was a little too aggressive. And I'll beat myself up for that right in the past. Now it's like, okay, I did say that. Yeah, I got some stuff. Oh my goodness, like I gotta apologize to them. But why did I say that though? What, what in me was triggered that made me say this? Like what? Mm -hmm. And then it'll make you, if you ask yourself those tough questions, instead of saying, oh my God, I'm such a horrible person. 
all right, get get through that. You know, you got to cry and self-loathe and all of that. Fine. But once you're done with that, and I'm not talking about years, like we have, you have to, because we're not getting younger. You, you have to be able to bring yourself back in at some point. You have to. You have to. Um, you have to be able to encourage yourself and talk to yourself. And so when you're in that place, say, wait, wait a minute. Why did I do that? Why did, instead of trying to act like you didn't do it and try to lie to yourself or lie to other people that you didn't do it, really have a conversation with yourself like, yo, I was bugging. What made me say that? What made me do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. And when you really think, I promise you, ask yourself that question and genuinely want to know the answer. You'll get the answer. And the answer I got was, do you remember in third grade? And this is like all rushing back to me after 25 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, shoot, I remember that. And, I, and then all of a sudden, I remembered how I felt. I remember what I was wearing. I had on a blue uniform and a blue sweater and, and blue pants and a tie, burgundy tie. And, and I was at PS 158 and I had a lunchbox. And I could tell you everything. The feelings came rushing. And I was like, and almost like I was taken back, transported back to that, to that day. Mm-hmm. And, and I was able to trace, wow, I felt like that in college when this happened. I felt like that, you know, when I started the first company. I felt like that when Shorty said this to me and I didn't like it. Or I felt like, and it all just, and I was like, wow, this perfection thing is killing me. It's killing me. It's killing me. So, that, so having those types of conversations with yourself in those moments. So two, so being the bouncer for your mind, you have the power to say, just because I have the thought doesn't mean I have to allow the thought to have me. Just because the thought is on the line to get into the club doesn't mean I got to let the thought in. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then number two, what am I telling myself? Mm. So, okay, I'm not going to let the bad thoughts in. I see that it's coming on. And don't be shocked when you feel it coming on. Don't feel like you're powerless. You're still in power. After all, you own the club and you're the bouncer. You own the club and you're the bouncer. So you're never without power. So even though the thought is forming and you feel it coming on and you feel like, oh, I feel like I'm about to go into a depression, what are you telling yourself? Mm-hmm. Don't let those thoughts that are standing on the line to get into your club that are not good thoughts speak louder than the good thoughts. Mm-hmm. You can amplify the good thoughts and minimize the not so good thoughts if you just realize you have the power to do it. And ask yourself the question, why did I do that? Why did what made me, why did I feel so, why did I want to knock this guy out? Why? What's so, all he did was cut me off. Why do I want to chase this guy's car down, meet him at the next slide? Oh, I'm saying too much, because I'm giving too much away if you know, know some of my problems. Um, in a past life, you know, what, why do I want to go up to this guy's window and drag him out of the car because of how he cut me off? What, I mean, he cut me off and he didn't hit the car. Nothing happened. How do I even know they saw me? Mm-hmm. Why am I so angry? Why? What is it? What is it about me that's, it. that's hurting? That's damage. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm trying to cover it in, 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 in uh, bravado or, uh, you know, just being macho and, you know, and, and which, is what we, which is what I was taught growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. or growing up in the hood. You know, the only emotions a man has is, is happy or angry. A black man, rather, we're allowed to be angry or happy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to cry. We're not allowed to be sensitive. We're not allowed to be, and still be a man. 
you know, weren't allowed to connect. In the I won't say our feminine side. I don't, I don't like, when we say that, we gotta connect our feminine, as if men are not sensitive, as if men are not emotional. And my, my thesis is, I think men are just as emotional, if not more emotional in many cases than women, to be mm -hmm. quite, quite honest with you. Uh, if we're using gender, uh, you know, which we could talk, you know, I'm not trying to disregard anyone else's gender or non-gender, but, you know, just for the case, just for the sake of conversation, you know, like, you know, that's just kind of how we've been raised. And so just all of that, have, you have to unpack all of that. And you're not going to unpack it in a day. You're not going to unpack it. Some of us are not going to unpack it in a year, but at least being on the journey. And I like how you, you started by asking me, tell, you know, Brandon, tell me about your journey of wellness, realizing that it is a journey and it never ends. It will never end. The question is, when will you realize it has begun? It will never end. But has it really begun in your life yet? And the way you know that it's begun is that you actually start taking inventory of who you are, what you are, what you're not, what, you, what your issues are. And let me start the journey of actually addressing some of this stuff. And that's it. All right. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, now that what so we often talk about generational wealth right and passing it on especially in the black community but one thing that i like to talk about especially when it comes to physical is uh what's generational health and so i would love to know what are some areas that you want to pass down or pass up because generational you can pass either way uh relating to health and wellness that you want to pass on or that you're planning on passing on or you're trying to improve yourself so that you can pass on those tip those uh positive Great point. Again, because we're black, because we come from the African diaspora and that experience is crazy, um, crazy good and then crazy not so good, obviously. But we have been given, you know, we were given, you know, this, the worst part of the animal, as we all know, we've been given all of that. And the slave diet was really bad. The stress of a slave, of, of, a, of an enslaved African rather, was, was very bad, um, which now points to why uh, African-Americans, Caribbean-Americans, those from the African diaspora suffer from, you know, high rates of hypertension and diabetes and um, all of those things, heart problems, all of that uh, stems from slavery. Um, and we know that because there's been so many different scientific studies done um, that uh, correlates that and also shows our, our uh, brothers and sisters in Africa who never left Africa, who never experienced the enslaved conditions that our ancestors did, they don't have those issues. Mm. The folks who did leave Africa, or the folks who, did, who were taken from Africa and forced into slavery, they have those issues. Whereas their brothers and sisters that who stayed in Africa do not. So anyway, um, so fast forward, we did the best we could with what we had and with what we knew. And I, that's why I love our culture. We never just lay down. We, we're going to figure it out. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's normal in, in many of our, in, in much of our culture to eat five pieces of fried chicken and French fries and biscuits for lunch, bacon, egg and cheese on a, you know, thick white roll for breakfast with juice, you know, sugary juice and sodas all day and you know, you go to our neighborhoods, you know, you're going to see a crown fried chicken or a Popeye's everywhere, KFC, like all these places. And, you know, I'm eating food, you know, I changed my diet and I'm just like, this is crazy. Like I'm eating a piece of fish and some carrots and some spinach and like 
two like small little pieces of potato, roasted potato. And I'm just like, yo, this is crazy. And this, this is actually, this should be normal. Mm-hmm. Eating a salad for lunch. And that should, that's what our bodies can handle. But we were accustomed to big macaroni and cheese. And that's a meal. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is, you know, not only have I changed that with me, for me, but also I've changed it with my son in that, you know, he does not drink soda. If he's not even with me, he's gonna be like, no, I just, I'll just take water. He'll be at school, he wants water. He's at a restaurant, can I have water? We're at home, can I have water? Um, you know, really keeping him away from that, um, keeping him away from certain foods. And then not only just telling him, no, you can't have it, but I tell him why, what that does to our bodies. And he's like, oh, daddy, because this is him. I don't want abs. So what do I do to get abs? And he's like, serious. When I tell you serious, it, it, he's eating something. It was literally less. He's eating something. It was like something sweet or whatever. And he's like, oh, this is so good. I was like, you're not going to mess up your abs. He was like, here, mommy, you can have it here. <laughs> it was like something he really liked. When I told him that, he was like, nah. He's like, I can't mess up my abs. Oh, like, determination. That's what I'm Oh, he's, oh yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's different. So. That, that's kind of what I'm passing on to him. And he, you know, I have a gym in the house. So we, you know, we work out, you know, here and, you know, he loves to work out. So just really trying to do that. And I'm also getting my father who is almost 70, uh, having him work out with, with, with my trainer. So he can just kind of keep his movement going and kind of keep that flexibility and motion uh, as he ages. So, you know, those are just some of the things changing our diet. Like my family, they don't eat a lot, a lot of carbs anymore, a lot of red meat. You know, we grew up on oxtail almost every night, rice and peas, you know, ham and, you know, we grew up on that, you know, on that a lot of red meat, a lot of, you know, oily stuff and carbs and cheeses and fried foods. So they cut a lot of that out. So that's kind of what, what we're passing on and, and passing forward and passing backwards, I guess. Perfect. I love that. I love that. Uh, I think the last thing. So, all right. Bet. Um, so the last question that I have, or at least the one segment of the Obsidian Mindset that we do is called Deep Dive Questions. So what I'll do is ask questions. It should be super light. Um, and then we, after that, we can get a little deeper and talk a little bit more about that. Um, so I'm going to let you choose between one and 25, any number, and I'll pick a question or a set of questions. That we can go Four. On. Wow. Conviction. All right. All right. Four. One, two, three. All right. Um, so this is. Do you ever feel like an imposter or do you have imposter syndrome? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, that's an easy one. Absolutely. 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 Yes. One million percent. Yes. 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 And yes. Did I say yes? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we got that. You must see. Yes. Yes, yeah, totally. So, go deeper. <laughs> uh, so, the next, the deeper question is: So, what activities or thought exercise do you do to combat that? Um, so, this is so recent. So, you're like really on it, man. Uh, um, this is so recent. Um, so, what I've begun to do again, it's it's I'm never without power, right? Mm-hmm. So what? So what I. What I did was what I'm doing um, was I realized that whole um, imposter syndrome is so real. It's so it's so real. But a lot of it is rooted, in my opinion, in too much focus on you. 
I am the imposter. I am not real. What I am doing, this and that, and I and I, because that's really what it, which kind of is like pride, because it's always about you. Okay. To a certain extent, like I could unpack that another time, but so this is just what I tell myself. So I think what, what I did was that whole imposter thing stemmed from perfectionism, stemmed from, which is pride. Uh, even if it's not in you, it's pride in the culture, it's prideful. And I don't mean pride as in I'm proud of myself. I mean, like almost an arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that, the perfectionism, um, the pressure that you put on yourself to do something, which is again connected to the perfectionism. So what I started doing was like, so, you know, I, I was very successful very early on in life and everything kind of failed. And now I'm on the other side of that and things are, you know, uh, like in another stratosphere, you know, as far as the level of, you know, opportunities and success and, you know, all of that great stuff, you know, I'm light years from even the, the success of my twenties. Uh, but I was talking to one of, my, one of my partners the other day and I was like, oh, I realized what this is. When I was in my 20s, I thought that my success was because of me. I thought it was because of me. I really did. Uh, you know, I have a measure of, uh, a certain measure of, of, of uh, intelligence. Uh, we can debate to what degree and measure that is. <laughs> but who you talk to, and they say it's up here, somebody else might say it's down here. Um, but I thought it was me, you know, I, I talk to people, I negotiate, I, I'm hungry, you can't outwork me, you know, I was very much like Diddy in that way, that, oh, let's go, you know, um, I still have a lot of that, but I think it's, it's channeled in a better way now, but, um, but then everything fell, failed, and now that, and, and when I started going back on the upswing, it was like I was afraid, because I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, I failed the last time, you know, and I was still wrestling with not only did I fail, but I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. And so wrestling with that. And then I said to my partner, I was like, you know, I realized I, I figured it out. I get it now. I am where I am. I'm not the smartest person in the world by far. I'm not the most educated person in the world by far. I'm not the most articulate. I'm not the most, you know, connected. And, I, you know, I don't have wealthy parents or a wealthy family. You know, uh, you know, I'm a guy. I'm a guy from, you know, East, I'm a guy from Brooklyn. And so why me? You know, all the opportunities that I'm doing some crazy stuff, like some things are going to, and some things already kind of came out, uh, not kind of, things came out in different media outlets and whatever. And, you know, I can talk online with you about that. And some more things are going to be coming out in some pretty large publications and TV and all this other stuff. And I say to myself now, wow, I actually get to be here. And not because of me now, yes. I am the vessel. I am the one in the meeting. I'm the one thinking things through and trying to strategize to make stuff happen. Yes. However, what about the guy who's 10 times smarter than me that strategized and he didn't make it? Why am I different? What about the guy who has three degrees and came from money and had all the opportunity in the world and for whatever reason, whether it's his fault or somebody else's, didn't make it? What the guy who's living under a bridge, homeless, living under a bridge who can outthink, outsing, outact, out, you know, business maneuver, anybody, but they're living under a bridge. And we walk past them every day with our noses turned up, not realizing who that person is and how easily we could be that person tomorrow. Yep. 
Like we don't, we don't, we don't register that. And so I realized I am where I am. This is what I did for myself. This is uh, you, other people could do this or not, but this is what has worked and it is working for me. It has nothing to do with me. Brandon, that's, why are you saying you're an imposter? It has nothing to do with you. How can you be an imposter if it has nothing to do with you? You are just the vehicle through which, for whatever reason, I'm a man of faith, particularly Christian faith, and so this is what helped me. And this is how I internalized it. You are the vehicle through which God has chosen to, to answer the prayers of your mother, your father, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your great-grandfather, your ancestors who you never met, the prayers that they prayed for the next generation, for the future, for whatever reason. You don't know all of the reasons yet. But for whatever reason, this, this is the generation and you are the person in this generation that God has chosen to enact and manifest the prayers and the answers to the prayers that your ancestors prayed for whatever reason. Because you're a human being like everybody else and God could have chosen anyone else. You could, you're not the only one who could be doing what you're doing. There's a million people out there smart, a million people that could make stuff happen and think quicker than you and a million people, but for whatever, whatever reason. And so you get to be this vessel. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to get everything right. You're going to fail a bunch of times. That doesn't mean you're not the vessel. That doesn't mean you're not the vessel. The fact that I gave you these gifts, and this is just my belief as a, as a Christian, as, from, a, from a faith perspective, um, I gave you this gifts, these gifts, which gives you permission to use them. Not you, you succeeding doesn't give you permission to use it. Everybody saying you're great doesn't give you permission to use it. You winning an Oscar if you're an actor or winning a Grammy if you're an artist, a musical artist or a producer, that doesn't give you permission to be who you are. The fact that you have it means you can use it. So you're not an imposter because it's not about you. The better question is, why is it about you? Why? That's what I ask myself. This is what I'm asking myself. I'm like, yo, Brandon, why is it about you? Why is it all about you? And then it makes you connect. Like when you start asking yourself those questions, you're like, oh, wait, I, I do kind of, I'm bugging sometimes because I really do think it's about me in certain areas and it's really not. I need to get over myself and kind of just chill. You know what I'm saying? And that's the conversation I have with myself. This is, this is like, I'm letting you in what goes on in this crazy big head of mine. Yeah. Like I, I legit, I legit <laughs> like on some, Brandon, what are you? Shut up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah keep it down man talking to myself like a crazy guy right so that's kind of how i deal with it and whenever i feel it coming on i just i shift from that oh oh me to a to a place of gratitude where it's like wow my mother and i might tear up on this could not read until she got to junior high she was 12 13 and just started to learn how to read because nobody taught her how to read my father grew up in Barbados, had to feed the pigs and clean the pig pen before school, and you know had to share a bed in a in an old chattel house in the countryside of Barbados with four or five brothers, where they would sit, they would sleep uh, lengthways, not lengthways, widthways on the bed, up until their twenties, sharing one bed, four or five grown men sharing one bed, one little twin twin bed, sleeping uh, widthways. With, so their legs are hanging off the bed. They're 20 something years old, having to share the bed with their brothers because they're so poor. Every year for their birthday, they would get an egg, their own egg. That would be their gift. And be excited about the fact that, yes, I get my own egg this year. 
that was the birthday present. And so when I think about that, man, how can I be an imposter? That's where I come from. I know who I am. I, come, I don't come from Bill Gates. I don't come from Barack Obama. I don't come from, I come from people who was excited, who were excited to get their own egg for their birthday. Whose mother couldn't read till she got to junior high, whose great grandmother couldn't read at all, but was one of the most smartest women I've ever met, smartest people I've ever met in my life. And so when you, when you, when you allow yourself to just be grateful that you are where you are and that you could have just not been there, instead of allowing the imposter syndrome to talk to you and say, oh yeah, you ain't nothing, you did it. No. And guess what? You're right. I am nothing. I'm just a person. And you remove all of the pressure off of yourself because I'm just a guy. And for whatever reason, I'm here. And while I'm here, I'm going to be me unapologetically. I'm going to be who I am. If I'm able to speak, I'm going to speak. If I'm able to sing, I'm going to sing. If I'm able to act, I'm going to act. If I'm able to start a business, I'm going to start a business because that's just who I am. Without the pressure, without the perfection issue, without all of that, I'm just grateful that, wow, out of all of the people that could be in the spot, I'm here. Damn, I love it. And it just makes you feel good. And it makes you be humble. You're humble. I'm so, uh, the humility is just, it's so freeing. Because mm -hmm. then it's like, eh, yeah, I did, I did say that. That was stupid. I gotta check that and then move on. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, so that's related. So I digress. That's how I, that's how I deal with myself. Um, and I guess the, to wrap it up, what is, and this is where you just, any tips, I mean, you've been giving gems all this whole thing, but um, any tips that you want to leave with the folks listening and anything that you want to plug that you're doing, or you want to let people know that you're doing, feel free. This is your time. So go for it. Tips. I think, you know, just, I just want to say it's okay, man. It's all right. Whatever it is. I don't have to know what it is. It's all right. You're human. It's okay. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to make mistakes. And it sounds so trivial, but that's got to tell you. If you don't know me, I don't know you. Whoever, whoever's listening, for the most part, I probably don't know you. But know that it's all right. Give yourself permission to be human, to make mistakes. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Stop carrying pressure that doesn't belong to you, trauma that doesn't belong to you, your mother's trauma, your father's trauma, your brother, your sister, your boss, your ex, your husband, your wife. Trauma that just doesn't belong. That doesn't mean you don't care about people that have that trauma. You just don't make it yours. You don't live through it as if it belongs to you. You don't take it on as if it's as if it's yours. Um, uh, plugs, yes. So uh, I'm a developer. Uh, Steinbridge.com. Feel free to go to our website. Developing some great um, community changing, generational changing, uh, real estate around the country, and uh, launched Flume Internet. F L U M E Internet.com. First black and brown owned internet service provider in the country. Uh, we're doing some amazing work uh, here in New York. Uh, and in uh, some other parts of the country, we're expanding pretty rapidly. Uh, follow us, check us out, support us, uh, and uh, love everybody and love yourself. That's what we do. Oh, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on, giving the gems, giving all the juice. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, uh, thank you for picking you today. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. All right. And everyone else out there, thank you for picking you, and thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.